Hey guys, if you feel stuck in any areas of your life, be it business, work, finance, or in general, we are the podcast show for you. We are your hosts, I'm Jose. And I'm Gustavo. And we hope to inspire you to build resilience in overcoming the uh, adversities of life. So here it is. Welcome to another episode of Kazi, where we believe that you should never let a good crisis go to waste. And more importantly, understanding entrepreneurship through these very difficult times. Today's guest with us, we have invited Reggie Go. Uh, Reggie himself is the founder and brain behind the Financial Coconut. Uh, we'll have him do a quick shout out on that as well. Uh, the Financial Coconut is currently in Singapore, the very first financial literacy podcast, and is currently ranking at one of the top local podcasts, consistently ranking top five over at Apple and top 15 on Spotify in various categories. Reggie, welcome to our show. Hi, good day. Nice to meet you guys. Happy to be on the show. Yeah, happy to be welcome. on the show. Good for you. How are you doing? Um, as of now, it's, it's not too bad. Yeah. You know, like when, when work from home started, it was like, it was a transition, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're, you're used to a certain way of life and then now you're mm -hmm. kind of trapped. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so that was, that was the difficult part. But yeah, as you said, as I set up systems for myself and then just kind of, kind of bridge it over. So now it's a little bit more bearable, but I still want to break free. I still want to go out, man. I can't wait to leave. <laughs> Good to know. Do, you Good go out, do you go out often? I mean, just for like a breath of fresh air and, you know, do some exercise and stuff like that. Oh my God, every day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know when, when, when it first started, I go out in the midnight because I, I was afraid of, <laughs> you know, afraid of catching the virus, right? So I go out in the midnight, nobody. Then I realized that a lot of people in the midnight also. So then I was like, ah, never mind. Lah. I just go out whenever I want to go. I should have shown that it's good to go out like when the sun is out, right? Because that, that's yeah. where the virus is. Yeah, take a walk, you know. Yeah, yeah move the body. So, we need it. It's like a, it's like an everyday thing now. Every day I go down, walk, you know. And I know pre like pre COVID, I kind of stay away from the sun. And mm. now I like walking into the sun. I was like, I need the sun, right? So it's uh, it's it's that kind of I don't know why, but it's, it's that desire to get kind of a little bit of warmth, you know, it's, it's a, it's a mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. Everybody feels the same. That's why all the outdoors are, I bet, getting more and more sort of crowded these days. Mm -hmm. They are going to be opening soon, right? I think it's another two more weeks or so. Fingers crossed, man. Like, I can't, I can't wait to go out and, you know, I actually, I actually am stationed in Malaysia now, but I'm physically in Singapore now. So I'm kind of stuck in a lockdown limbo, right? I thought I could come back here and kind of continue to live normal life because they already locked down in Malaysia. But then when I came back, I had a two weeks quarantine. And then after that, we locked down also. My goodness. Right? So I'm kind of like <laughs> in a limbo situation. They've experienced uh, two lockdowns back to back in different countries. Yeah, man, it's crazy. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's nuts. <laughs> but yeah. Re Reggie, Reggie, I met you um, four years plus ago. 20, 2016 through wow. a networking event, right? Yeah, man. Yeah, man. You, wow. So, you, you, so Gustavo, he literally saw me from, from far and came up to me in a networking event, single me out. So, in summary, he basically tashang Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, your, you know, your head was shining um, yeah. from far away and he could spot it. The, yeah. the reflection of the light. 
Okay, Now so he, this is the part. Jose was like speaking at the event. He was like the main, you know, the main thing. It's tough to, mm. tough to face. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was speaking. I was presenting on. Uh, ironically speaking, I was presenting Kazi. Okay. It was for I something else. Four years ago. Four, four years plus ago. But uh, then again, I, I was I was thinking that um, he he was doing something really very interesting. Uh, I see I see Reggie as someone which is very driven, very passionate. Uh, he's very knowledgeable for someone which is his age. First of all, he doesn't look his age, Gustavo. I have not. We, I'm not so sure whether uh, are we allowed to share his age to our listeners and viewers. Anyway, at his at his age, he knows a lot, and he you, you travel, you travel. Yeah, you we we'll type it down here, that underneath. Uh, yeah, just just here, right? Yeah, nothing, <laughs> nothing more. Yeah. yeah. But b- before we share the the ups and downs of Reggie, um, I mean, what makes you get out of bed every morning? Like, what gets you going? Oh, honestly, I procrastinate a lot. Also, so the reality is being human, right? We we procrastinate, and I procrastinate. You know, so I'm, I'm I won't say I'm like the super excited, driven mm. individual in mm. life. In fact, I'm like the super lazy guy that's always observing for a simpler way out. Right, so I'm trying yeah. to how, how do I simplify this process and get a better productivity? How do I mm. kind of optimize this thing? And you know, yeah. it's it's always about creating a shorter, more efficient, smarter mm. way. And not I'm not I'm not the hustler kind of person that's just like keep doing and doing and mm. doing. So like, okay, I I realize there's certain parts of things that need to be that way, right? Mm-hmm. Unless you can outsource that part, right? So and that kind of translate as well to your work with the coconut, um, you know, um, sort of looking at financial literacy. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what what you know the what is the objective of of the sort of getting the financial literacy in place? And is that mainly for any particular demographic? Is this Singapore or, or Malaysia? Yeah. So the podcast actually started as a means of expression, because when I first shifted to Malaysia, I thought I had Malaysian friends, right? But that turns out that one, once I shifted there, they don't see me as a foreigner anymore, so they don't care about me. They're like, wow. <laughs> it's it's no longer like a premium when you travel and meet your friends, and then they will make time for you. Now that you shift there, they see you as a local. They no longer make time like special time for you, right? So it gotta yeah. be in sync with their schedule. So then like I your, your entertainment attraction in your country that you never go to, like everybody travels from far, far away to come and look at it. Yeah. Exactly right. So, so then I I needed like a medium to express, and that's when the podcast started. Literally on my dining table with like one small little mic, and then we just kind of start. Right. So for a very long time, I have been. Super passionate about finance, like personal finance, investing, stock picking, those kind of stuff. And then I was like, okay, now I'll just talk about it, right? Because I think there is a gap here. Right? I don't really see anything. Right? In fact, when I was producing it, I was really shocked, like that I was the very first one. I mean, okay, there are some snippets on the radio, you know, Money FM, those kind of guys, but they're not optimized for podcast, right? So when when I look at it, it's like, oh, it's pretty interesting. And wow, I never knew that it. it It would kind of roll so fast, so it just blew, you know. And we like we quadrupled our followers in like two months, right? So it's like yeah. amazing. So it's it, it more like your personal relationship with money and how you deal with with money. Is that is that the sort of like the message that um, you're you're targeting and and getting like the average sort of consumer to to discover their own their own relationship with with finance, right? Yeah, man. So. I think that is the main focus, right? To kind of 
I mean, the tagline of the show is to, you know, create a, like create a life you love while managing your finances as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So fundamentally it needs to be contextualized to the individual. Right. And mm-hmm. I mean, there are a lot of geeky stuff that we can go into the super complex kind of things, but the day to day individual may not be that interested in those kind of stuff. They just want to know how can I, you know, hey, live a pretty good life. Don't need to be too concerned about money, you know, that kind of thing. Right. So there is also a subset of the followers that really want to geek it out. And sometimes I do live stream with them to geek it out some complex, you know, theories and those kind of stuff. But man, on the main show, it is like for, for like mostly for PMETs, like young people just started making money. And then, you know, that is our main demographic till about 35. That's kind of where it is. Yeah. Mm. And it's so interesting because that is exactly the demographic that is sort of latching on podcast. Um, and they've opened up because the older re- um, group of people are kind of listening to radio still and watching, you know, TV. But the the younger ones, and and yeah, I, I think it's really inspiring that you are targeting the younger demographic. Yeah, it, it's like a natural audience, right? Exactly like what you said. So, in that medium itself, naturally, this is a demographic, right? The younger ones to about like mid thirties. That is a demographic, you know. Yeah. But you'll be surprised, like there are actually older people listening to the podcast, right? And mm. I'm like, whoa, why are you here? <laughs> it's, it's pretty interesting, yeah. Well, like we pitch here over at Kazi, you keep saying that never let a good crisis go to waste. That doesn't make sense right now. Reggie, do you think right now is actually uh, this crisis as big as some people call it greater than 1929 World Depression? Would this be the best opportunity? Oh, if it's really 1929, like the Great Depression, right? You have a long time to go in this opportunity, right? Because the, the downturn in this, in this cycle is really, really long. If it's like 1929, which is, you know, it, it took like, I think three or four years to even get everything back together. So I'm, I'm not too sure if it's, if it's like the Great Depression. I mean, you see signs of like dragging on the economy, Right and a lot of requirement for stimulus, mm. but the way governments handled back then and now it's very different. Like the government mm. now is super proactive. You know, the central mm. banks are just pumping money. You know, of course we can discuss on the validity and the velocity of money and all those kind of things when how effective mm. they are in their policies. But the, mm. the reality is they are a lot more proactive than before mm. because whatever has happened has happened, right? So people know how mm. to handle it, right? So when you, when you look at it. From an individual's viewpoint, I mean, different people will, will capitalize in different direction, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. From an individual's viewpoint, definitely it's a good time in terms of restructuring your finances, right? Because it's a, when, when, when it's kind of like how a company works, right? Day to day, you have a lot of things to do. You don't really look at your system and restructure unless, mm. you, unless you really focus on it, right? Mm. But when a crisis hits, you kind of have to work your way around these things to make yourself lean, mean, and, you know, ready for the upswing. So I think on a personal finance level, you, you get to do that also, right? You can revisit your expenses, revisit your insurance policies, your savings net, you know, all those kind of things are important. You do that. Mm. Um, if you're asking from the angle of investing, you know, whether it's a good time to kind of capitalize on the market and those kind of stuff. Uh, my view is if you believe in a long-term investing strategy, then yeah. anytime it's a good time, as long as you continue to capitalize on trends, like, capitalize over time yeah, yeah. great right. but would you say it's a, a, a good time to start business and do a startup 
Ah, at this point in time, um, I would say it is a good time to explore new ideas. But if you're trying to do a startup like how startups are done, which is like ideating MVP and then raising capital, this is going to be a challenging time because capital mm. are gonna, capital is going to shrink in terms of how quick they go out. It's not that yeah. there's no money. It's just that mm. investors are going to be super selective. So mm. managers are going to be stuck with higher criteria, tougher yeah. to go in. Mm. Right, so people, investors will probably take on later stage startups, you know, mm. to try to pump them up into the market rather mm. than take on like new, you know, of course there is a whole traject, the whole repertoire of people, right? They, they are interested yeah. in different yeah. kind of, you know, timings. But I think at this point yeah. in time, you're going to see capital across the board becoming more stringent. Yeah, right? definitely. So, I think yeah. more shifts from institutional investments into mm trying to pick up for bargains in the startup ecosystem. So probably there will be a shift of capital. And I think exactly what you, like I agree with you, what you're saying, like the existing investors are gonna become more careful, but the ones that haven't participated before, now is probably a, a open window for them to start to look at, you know, what is really bargain here. Exactly. Yeah, so, Gustavo, but that, sorry, Gustavo, there's also opportunity as well because we have a lot of people right now who are displaced, right? Because they, they, they lost their job and everybody's looking for something to do. And right now, the employment market isn't good as well. You wouldn't say it's good as well. Yeah. I think so, there's a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people have lost um, their, their job. Um, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to understand about like Malaysia, for instance, because which part of Malaysia do you stay at? Is it over in JB? No, I stay in KL actually. In KL. What is yeah. the job situation right now in, in KL and how has that impacted? Because we know it from Singapore perspective, but like, how is it really over there? I think in Malaysia, it's a lot broader because they have like different states and different states do different things, right? So they have a much broader economic structure in the sense that they have the primary industry, secondary industry, and then the tertiary industry, right? So, so in KL, KL alone, it's a lot of MNCs that are there to kind of do outsource work, like operations, you know, those kind of administrative back-end stuff. A lot of Singapore companies are also going there, right, to, yeah. to set up their back office, right? So when it comes to back office, then, you know, it's very much dependent on what the MNC is trying to do. But when I, when I look at it, the MNC is already optimized to Malaysia. Where, where else can they optimize? All right? So it's not impossible to kind of cut out individuals to, using technology. That's definitely a viable direction. But yeah. broadly speaking, I don't see much um, disruption in terms of the labor market. Right? Yeah. Like at, at least you know, within the midterm, I don't see much disruption. I, I, I see continued kind of you know, progress in, 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 in the Southeast Asian region and Malaysia also. So, yeah. Because my perception looking, at, I mean, I, all, the, the little that I know about, you know, the situation over in Malaysia versus, say, in Singapore, although we're neighboring countries, um, the reaction culturally wise, it's quite different. And, and how the, you know, government has come in and like put certain measures in place. Um, would also differ in terms of speed, right? Because everything about this current situation that we're in is about how fast they, you know, as a country and, and the government and as people were able to react to it. But I'm not sure whether was that, you know, did you feel that Malaysia was able to shift their attention and change the way they did um, fast enough 
or was it historic? Because if I was to compare that, Indonesia would have been a lot slower. So I'm not sure what was the situation with Malaysia. Did you freeze? I think it froze. No, <laughs> we're not taking photos right now. <laughs> <laughs> Say cheese. Well, these are the glitches um, that I think makes it very real, right? Because yeah. um, during a pa- yeah, you just went for a glitch. I, I, I lagged yeah. out, right? Okay, yeah. okay lagged out for like I seven mean, seconds there. Really good point. Because since we are on it, I felt like these are the sort of technical issues that we face as we move our doings um, digitally. So I'm actually interested to find out, like, from from both of you, like, do you think that you know, knowing that there are some technical challenges, um, would businesses actually evolve to become more permanent in terms of digitizing their processes after the COVID-19 situation gets lifted out? Because there are challenges there as well. I knew you were going to ask that. Uh, I I think Reggie knows how I feel about this. I have a whole sentiment about this. I think a lot of things will, will... will be changed, will be different, right? We talk about, let's get back to the norm, you know, after circuit breaker, after COVID-19, you know, let's get back to the norm. But what is the norm? The norm will be a new norm, right? Never in our times for the last 20 years have we seen such a quick and massive adoption, embrace of digitization, right? And, uh, you know, bosses will never allow their employees to work from home because they cannot keep track and monitor, right? Where's the KPI? But now with CB installed in Singapore, everybody would have no choice. So to be honest, two days ago, I just upgraded my plan from what one GBPS to two because I need it, right? And uh, Reggie was previously two weeks ago mentioning about everybody is uh, fighting for server space. The internet speed is an issue right now. Uh, so I don't know, that, that's my answer to you. Yeah. I come from a slightly different view, right? So I, when, when I look at optimizing the workforce, right? Which means to raise the productivity while maintaining cost, right? And, and when, you, when you look at that, I think you cannot debunk the central idea that the tech companies have done a great job doing that, right? So, so when, when I look at how the tech companies manage their guys, you realize that there, there are two set of work, right? So from an individual, I mean, we're not talking about like super high level, talking about like average, you know, normal people that are part of the organization, there tend to be two set of work. One is the creative side of things. One is the executional side of things, right? So executional work is great when you're doing alone, right? You get a limited distraction, you just focus, do, 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 right? But when you're on the creative side of work, you're trying to create, you're trying to innovate, you're trying to strategize, then, you know, the kind of shoulder bumping between people at the office, it's important, right? You, you, it's very difficult to create in a silo, you need that kind of interaction. So there's, there's actually studies published that the optimal way to work is about two to three days individually and two to three days in a group setting. Right? How do so you that- feel about like technology like this, for example, like right now, obviously we are in different rooms, right? We're in different parts of Singapore. Um, is this... I'm, I'm really like this was a conversation that we we're having yesterday in a, in a separate recording as well, but I'd love to hear your perspective. You mentioned about the shoulder bumping, right? But then this in itself, do you feel like they are comparable? Or do you feel like they are like you can't even replace that like physical presence? So why do I think you can't replace the presence? It's not because 
there needs to be a physical kind of thing, but it's just creative discussion is very random. It's not staged, right? Like we had to agree on this time to meet and talk and, you know, so, so it is very structured. So when it is structured, it, you know, it loses that, you know, capacity to then create, right? It becomes like a, I've already thought about it. You've already thought about it. And then we come in and discuss. So that is also mm-hmm. one way to do it. But mm-hmm. when I think about it, I think a lot of like creative sparks, you know, solving mm-hmm. problems and all this comes with a lot of random kind of interactions, right? Which yeah. is why a lot of, um, which is why there are a lot of pop-ups of all these kind of co-working spaces to begin with, right? It's for a lot of small companies that cannot afford a whole office, but once they're kind of, you know, communal, you know, I, I honestly believe that most people that go to the co-working spaces are not looking for cheap workspace, right? They're really and looking they're for... Cheap. They're not that cheap. Yeah, they're not that. cheap. That's why. So, so when people say it's like, oh, cheap workspace, it's not cheap. You know, PSF no. is more expensive. Right. Mm. So I personally think it is really about the communal interaction, that innovation, that kind of, you know, social interaction that it's really very attractive for a lot of people. So I, I honestly don't think people can work in. I think I, I, I definitely life. agree with that. I, there's, there's, this is something that I've been thinking for quite a while. And especially because we were, you know, the current circumstances, we are forced to be in a situation like this. But then I can't get used to it. And I wasn't sure whether this is a generational issue or was it, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking across some of my, um, the people that I work with and they are in a younger generation, the millennials, Gen Z. And I can see that, you know, going to classrooms, um, attending graduation. I mean, recently you probably have seen quite a number of reports on those. Um, there's still a value in physically being, um, like you put it, you know, like sort of in that physical space, bumping on each other's shoulder, um, breathing the same air. I think it's just, it's something that there's a value there. And if we're able to quantify that, it's extremely hard to say that, okay, so digitization will completely be able to replace that. But never say never. I mean, in the 90s, people said that, you know, it, retail will never be replaced by the internet, but look at it now. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. But then again, if you, if you just summarize this, like, let's say like a couple in a relationship, like, is it sustainable, like going a long way if they are just video conferencing? Ask the Nigerian guy, you know, the Nigerian's uh, situation. Um, But yeah, that is really interesting. Jokes aside, I think um, when you have an intimate relationship, yeah, how do you sustain that that relationship? Exactly, exactly. To compare that, actually forming a business is kind of like, you know, fostering Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, nurturing that as well. Mm -hmm. And like legally, right? And then Mm -hmm. having children who are like your staff and can you replace that on a digital setting? I, 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 do it, do it, do it. <laughs> Me? Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah I, I fully agree that it is, it is like a marriage, right? And in fact, this is a much more complicated marriage because in the process of dating and finally getting married, there, you kind of layer the discussion over time, right? From mm. your views of, of the world, your goals, money, da, da, da. Slowly, slowly, slowly you get there. But when you try to start a business, yeah, that, that is the dating process is like super, supercharged, right? You want to find the people and you got to ask all the very difficult questions within a short period of time. You got to need to get it to know the awkward. person. Right, it's super awkward. Yes. So, yeah. so yeah. you know, that, that is, that is definitely one challenge. 
But I think one of the one of the great examples that you can look at is the Reddit guys, right? So I mean, Reddit is their forum. Everybody knows Reddit, right? So um, how the company works is that everybody works in an individual setting, right? So they don't have an office. They are all given a stipend, right? So they're all given a, a stipend to get their own office, however they want to do it. And then you start to see how different classes of people, because they do hire a lot of people, and there are actually some teams like the engineering team, they actually decide to pull their stipend together and then rent an office, right? And there are some people that just kind of rent short-term offices and some people just kind of just travel around and do their thing, right? So I think that is, that is the interesting part is that in every individual has a different way of working. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, so when you give people that kind of independence to then decide how they want to work mm-hmm. rather than, you know, stop like kind of storing everybody in the office, mm. then then that kind of also allows the individual to to be creative and productive, right? That's kind of that's kind of how I see it. Yeah. Do you think there is a shift in um, the way that people have relationship with their finances because of the current environment? Has that changed much? Um, you know, in terms of how they 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 perceive finance, their their relationship. Okay, so. Um, the first thing is how aware is the individual with their relationship with money, right? So if the, if the individual has already been doing a lot of work in terms of becoming more aware and, you know, cultivating a healthier relationship with money, then this situation just kind of adds on as an additional experience for them, right? To better refine themselves and because it's like more data points collected, right? And then you just, oh, okay, you just kind of grow accordingly. But so this is my conversation with some of my listeners, right? So then there is the other side of the bunch of people that are like super new and trying to understand personal finance. It doesn't mean they are new to making money. They can be making money for years, but still struggling with finances, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so these guys are a lot more traumatized by this process because they haven't done all that pre-work, right? So it's like, it's, it's kind of like training your body, right? If, if you have not done all the kind of bench press and all those kind of stuff that immediately you want to do like 200 you know it's going to kill yourself right but so, also like do you feel like knowing that you can just suddenly have an environment shift that is outside of your control and suddenly you could just lose it like that your job your you know your income your um stock investments and all of that like how does that impact them which is very different because i went through the financial a global financial crisis, you can still go to the bank. You can still, you know, like there were people queuing outside of AIA and sort of using blood to paint on their windows to like claim their money back. But in this kind of environment, you can't do that. You can't even revolt outside. You can't walk out there and look for your friends uh, for comfort. Um, what, what, you know, I'm just like intrigued by like, how does the new generation kind of look at that finance, you know, they're, they're, as they're trying to build their career, build their, their future? So I think that is like a two-layered question, right? So the, the one side of things is the personal finance side of things. And then the other side, is the kind of personal expression kind of things, right? Yeah. So given the current situation, yes, you cannot go and express yourself. You cannot kind of throw that emotion elsewhere, which is why a lot of domestic violence, you know, cases are, are rising, right? Because the emotion have to go somewhere. And for a lot of people that have not worked themselves to become more conscious about their emotions and their way of life, then, you know, they just burst with all these kind of energy. So that is one side of the discussion. But if we mm. focus on the personal finance side of the discussion, 
that it really goes back to the basics of personal finance, right? How much do you understand mm. your income, your expenses, your savings? Because if you have built up all those kind of savings safety net, you know, you have your insurance covered for you, you know, and you have your basic investing structure, you understand the philosophy, why you do certain things. So you're a lot more conscious and a lot more aware. Then you'll be like, man, this is, this is the situation that I plan for. I'm aware that something like that can happen. Maybe not to such an extent, right? But you're kind of within the ballpark. You're, you understand that investing has this, carries a risk. You understand that, you know, your job is not always with you. There are a lot of situations out there, demand supply factors. So yeah. when you have more consciousness in terms of understanding all these things, your plans become a lot more resilient, right? To kind of cover situations like that. Yo, Reggie. That's yeah. Kind of yeah, I, I know that for the last few minutes, we've been covering a lot on um, financial related matters, very much, of course, um, in conjunction with what you're really building so great for your podcast, The Financial Coconut. Uh, but I also like to take this opportunity for our listeners to know you as a person, because I know you as a friend, I know you have a certain background, and I think you, you have overcome quite a lot of the obstacles, ups and downs in your life. Uh, so I'm going to take this chance to ask you, what will be your greatest catastrophe you ever face in life? Um, <clears throat> I think the greatest catastrophe was that I lost a lot of my friends. Elaborate on that. Yeah. So it's like, essentially it's a breakdown of my, yeah. So essentially it's a, it's a breakdown of my social support system. Right. And, and that was because there was a time when I was part of a scam. You know, of course, I, I, I wasn't aware that I was part of a scam. Right? When, when was scams. that? How many years ago? Uh, that was six, five, six, seven years ago. Yeah. But two, two, three years before I met you. Yes. So, so uh, yeah, around that. So that was the time when finances were strained and then relationships were super strained. And essentially, you just feel alone. Right? So, so emotionally, that was an extremely tough time. Right, so pro- problems come and go, right? They always exist. Ultimately, if you solve it, then, then it carries on. Right? But at that point time, within that frame, that silo, it was very, very, very traumatizing because I, I was kind of, I felt very at a point in time. So, yeah. Sorry, oh, I, 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 yeah. Did, Gustavo, did you, did you catch that? <laughs> you, uh, I caught some lag. I, um, I think there was a there was a glitch. Uh, yeah, there somewhere. was a couple of uh, yeah. Yeah, Sorry, but, man, it's like it's yeah. too many people at home, and everybody is using two or three devices. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The dark app was down for uh, uh, last month, and the M one was down for a while. Yeah, oh, it was down as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you and, talked about that scam and. Um, so you you were obviously forced in that that circumstances. How did you get out of that that situation? Like in, from a personal perspective, how did you transition out of of that um, sort of you know state? So I I think at that point in time, um, it's it's actually very difficult to get on your own, right? So although I lost a lot of friends, lost a lot of connections, but there were still people around, right? So then it was those few that were around that kind of got me going. Essentially, it's, uh, it's, so, it's so low that it's reached a point where, you know, friend A calls me out, I'm like, okay, I'll go, you know, friend B calls me out, I'm like, oh, okay, I'll go, 
you know, that kind of thing. So it's like, you don't really have an individual drive. You're just kind of being dragged on by your friends, you know? So, mm-hmm. so like, I have pretty good friends in that sense. They just drag me to the gym, drag me out for coffee. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just yeah. like, you know, it, it was it was these kind of social relationships that I really treasure at this point in time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, going through such a situation with some of these guys, um, it, it will be a lifetime to remember. Right? Mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, yeah, you you really do need external intervention when you're in that state. Definitely. Right? So, which is why I'm Definitely. super, I'm super big on mental health. Like, I really think we can do more as a society, as collective. You know, we can Definitely. do way more on the mental health side of things, right? And I'm super mm. big proponent because I personally been through it, and I understand the need for external intervention rather than hoping that the individual will come out on their own, right? Yeah, yeah, Reggie. Let, let's talk about that because that could be one of your lowest moments in life. Mm. Right. I mean, financially, financially, you were affected, and you lost a lot of collection, and you were involved in, obviously, something that all of us want to avoid, which is a scam, right? So, you, definitely, you lost a lot of confidence as well, a lot of confidence. And so, a lot of hair. A lot. <laughs> and a lot of hair. Also. I, I can I can relate to that. So, <laughs> to, for our listeners, man, like how how should one bounce back, right? Because everybody want to bounce back quickly, like overnight. You know, I want to make back some money, get back my confidence. We wish this never happened to me, but it did. It did. Yeah. So when I, when I look at it, um, exactly like what you said, a lot of people want to bounce back like immediately. They want to yeah. just kind of come out of it. But I would really recommend you to soak yourself in it a little longer. Right? Oh. Don't, be in a, don't be in a hurry for that. Right? Um, there's so much... There's so much desire out there to be fast about everything. Yeah. Right? So everything must be, even you, you like jialat, you also must be fast, come out. Right? You know? <laughs> the reality is that there are a lot of lessons that you can learn when you're in that state because you, you become a lot more heightened. Right? Your, your senses become a lot more heightened. You become a lot more analytical, sometimes too analytical. Right? Um, what you need is really about perspectives. I think when, when I was in that that kind of shithole, right? What I needed to see was different kind of perspective of that situation mm. and to kind of then bring myself back up over time to understand why things happen, how can I become better and, you know, all the different little, little elements rather than, you know, just like bounce back up immediately, you know? So if, if I give people any advice to want to get through their tough times, uh, two things. One thing is really to sit down and analyze, you know, kind of, wallow yourself it's okay right get soak yourself in those kind of emotions so that is that is one thing but while you're sitting down analyzing you definitely want perspectives so go and ask all these other people that seemingly more wise doesn't mean older means wiser right but people that are more calm you know more aware uh you know we can talk about that another time but you know look for the wise men or the wise women Right, and get them to kind of share with you their thoughts, their perspectives. They have their own view, you have your own view. It's not about right or wrong, it's just about seeing different views. Right, so mm-hmm. then that gives you a much more holistic view of the situation. You become less like, oh, oh depressed and shit. Mm-hmm. Right? And then the other one is really to immerse yourself with people that actually care and they will drag you on. In some way or another, you got to give them 100% credit because they did drag you on. Right? Mm-hmm. And, then, and then over time, you build up you know, that, that kind of confidence again, you build up the kind of life system again, and you build up a whole new way of life, right? So, so you, when, when, I, when I look at it, that's kind of where it is. Don't be in a hurry. And, 
And and yes, you did because you went on to write your own book. Gustavo, did you know about this? No. Yeah. Like, yeah. What is the book? Um, yeah. What was the book about? Damn, you yeah. you will probably you, you will probably never see the book ever again. <laughs> that, that, that is that is how how um I, I don't know uh is it is it like for everybody? But for me, when I wrote it, I thought oh it's pretty damn good, right? But then when I revisit it, I was like oh this is shit. <laughs> so. So it is, it is kind of like a creator kind of thing over time when you create better and better and then you just look back at your old works and be like, ah, there's also we, thing, I mean, like, we, are, we are our harshest critics, right? And <laughs> yeah. so artists are usually their, hard, their own harshest critics. And yeah, I totally um, understand that. Um, well, but well, the book, how long ago was it written and, and what, was the, what was the theme behind the book? Wow, I, I think that was was after Jose, right? That I, I met you first, and then I can't remember exactly. Was it before, shortly after, after that? Shortly after uh, that. Shortly after. Okay, so the book was really more like a reflection of what has happened, you know, yeah. and, and all the thoughts that I had, all the perspectives that I've gathered, and I just kind of wrote down some of my principles of life. All right. So of course, of course, I didn't realize they were principles of of life at that point in time. It was just like, a, oh, this is what I found out, you know. And then I just kind of write it down chapter by chapter, you know, different, 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 different uh, topics, you know. And yeah, it was just like an amalgamation of my thoughts and my perspectives of life, you know. But now when I look at it, I realize, oh, a lot of those things actually govern my principles of life, like why I do certain things, you know. Uh, Exactly. Yeah, so, so those are those are kind of where it is. But it was it was a lot more like a self therapy process rather mm. than like creating the next big hit. You know, mm. it was it was it was. So I do recommend people to have the kind of mode of expression, whether it's mm. in recording or writing. You know, it's it's a good way to really think about things, right? Because you write yeah. it down, you process it, reflect yeah. as well. Yeah, man, exactly. So it was super quality in terms of like the processing. Mm-hmm. And the day when I published, I went back home and I slept for 14 hours. So that was like amazing because it's a lot of things that were released. Right? So it's a super self-therapy session, if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I, was really, well, I was really proud of you. I was very happy for you when you did the book launch. I think that also somehow gave you offspring to what you're currently doing, right? The podcast. I think a lot of things we look back at the current success that we're enjoying right now comes from if you look back you like all the dots you could re look and rejoin yeah mm. it's basically it's there for you to see base basically that that is what it is right and i, I do agree with it so uh, let me i add on a little bit on that it's like when when a lot of people they go through tough times i mean we are humans we go we all get into awkward situations we go into tough situations and in that frame of time in that small little square of one month one year it looks like a big thing Right. And at that point in time, it is probably a big thing, right? Because you know, it is everything in your life or something like that, right? You just kind of, it's, it's very challenging, but when you yeah. kind of expand it over time and then you, you look at it and say, like, okay, that was, a, that was a crazy episode, but it's only an episode. I get you. I used to think that Teletubbies, uh, you know, Care Bears, um, these are really important things. <laughs> Transformer. <laughs> yeah. since, okay, guys, since we are on the topic of books, Reggie, would you humor me? Do me a favor. What would be the the one best book that you ever read? Wow. Because um, I, I got my preference. I think Gustavo has something to recommend as well. 
Mm. I, I, I would think I would think for a personal finance view. I mean, there are many books that I read for different parts of life, and since since you know we are all about personal finance, so I'm going to share with you this book called Pragmatic Capitalism. Yeah. Right, and uh, it really talks about the kind of objective view of capitalism, like. You know how when you are watching a lot of YouTube videos, there's always a one angle of looking at mm. things, right? And they don't they don't talk to you about the assumptions at the back and why is it this way and all those kind of stuff. And this guy, which wrote Pragmatic Capitalism, he talks about like why Buffett is rich, you know, like the mm. things that people don't talk about, you know, how capitalism works, you know, on the yeah. back end, you know. So that is like a, a, of course, there are a lot of textures that can you can go way deeper, but. From that book, I think it gave me a pretty good view of okay. So this is the broad market. This is kind of how things work. Uh, so I, I think I see where your interest is. I see where your interest is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what about you, Gustavo? What will be the, the the best book you ever read? Well, I don't. I, I I don't know if I have a the best book. I like every book. I think being a being a you know entrepreneur like you are optimistic and you like many things uh, at one go. But I would say one of the books that is uh, that I'm reading right now and that I, I, I admire the, the writer a lot. So it's by Ben Horowitz. And, you know, he himself is more like in, in the startup ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he runs this um, VC firm. And all that. Yeah. Yeah. So he wrote the book called The Hard, the hard Thing About the Hard Thing. Yeah. And it's helping me sort of get through some of the hardest decisions that we have to make. And I haven't found a book, so the old managerial books or, you know, books that were written for CEOs were very much from a consulting perspective. Um, Very few books were written by startup founders. And this is Mm -hmm. one of the perspectives that gets me to see, well, okay, so some of the points where I didn't even imagine that it could happen, is happening right now and how am I gonna deal with it? So there was a couple of things that were addressed in that book that I found it really useful. I see, good for you. What about you? Oh yeah, I was worried that you guys will not ask. Um, my, so there are many good books out there. Uh, a lot of books that they contain a lot of uh, knowledge. Some books is basically about domain expertise from exp- real life experiences. Um, I, the best book I ever read, uh, Book of Joy. The Book of Joy. Have you guys heard of it? The author is by uh, Dalai Lama. Oh. <laughs> It, the yeah, so it's, it's a book of like enlightenment, you know, it's all about uh, wisdom, enlightenment, yeah. Now, now we come to that. Reggie, what is the meaning of life to you? Wow, wow. I, I wasn't expecting that question. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty crazy one. Um, I think after so many things that have happened, when I look at it, the central idea of life is really about exploration. I just go out and explore and see things and just kind of experience different aspects, you know, and just kind of learn over time. And it's really about creating that, that bigger repertoire of understanding. Uh, and that's kind, of, that's kind of where it is. So I don't come from the whole, like, there's a spiritual angle or there's all those kind of stuff. So, so if we go there, then the, the discussion never ends. But when I look at how I see life at this point in time, it's really about exploring, trying things and having that kind of experimental mindset. You know, ultimately you will, you will figure it out. And yeah, that's kind of where I see it. The way of life, experiment. 
Nice. I always Good. thought the meaning of life was um, somewhere along the line that you were you were talking about, which is, well, life is kind of, you know, empty and meaningless. And when you see it from that perspective, that is empty and meaningless, then it's what you decide to do with it, right? Do you give up or do you build your own thing on top of it and experiment in your own way? Um, and so there's there's a couple of like um, groups out there. Um, one of them is quite well known, Landmark. Um, they talk, they they explore what is the meaning of life, and mm. essentially the 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 foundation behind it is is to look at you know you don't don't let baggage and some of the things that you grew up with and some of the negative um, experiences that you went on to hold you back, but instead. You, if, it's, if you understand the concept of meaning, um, sort of meaningless and uh, empty, then you can create anything you want. I, I really like this conversation like, because we know that currently a lot of us are going through tough times. I mean, in Thailand, it's not just in Singapore, right? Um, so many of them will be asking, like, why, why did this thing happen to me? Reggie, when you were at your lowest point, you also ask yourself, like, why did this happen to me? You know, why me? Uh, and I think you both basically hit the jackpot, man. The, the the way you address to you know what is the question behind, what is really the true meaning of life? Is it really about money? You know, why are we going through tough times? And is is tough time good or not? You know, I always believe that tough times bring out the best of the person. It puts you on a fighting mode. Uh, it gets you out of the comfort zone, and you will start searching. You know, it's almost like the whole story of a metabolism. When you overeat and you eat too much, basically your white blood cells are slipping. You guys heard about that? Yeah. Mm. Which is why they introduce uh, intermittent fasting. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think we, we almost come to the, almost to the end of the show. I got one question, I think, which is, I think Gustavo will like as well for Reggie. All right. If you can go back in time and change one thing, <laughs> what will be the one thing? That you will change wow. and do it differently. Deep. Oh, this is crazy, man. This is a complex question. So, okay, I, okay, I think there are many things that, because it's super hypothetical. So when when I look at it, I'm just gonna. Okay, let me uh, let me put it this way. So if there is one thing that I can, kind of redo or rework it, is I will stay in school. All right. So I actually dropped out of the university. You know, um, yeah, I record. I, so I dropped out of university because of emotional and financial reasons. Right? So it was a lot of rage. You know, I hate the system and I hated that my whole family cornered me to the university just because I do very well and I could get to the university. And, you know, it was like a rampage. Right? People just, okay, let me just contextualize. Right? For two years, right, people were just like, keep telling me, you got to go, you got to go, you got to go. To a it's point where parents. I... Yeah, no, it's not just my parents, man. It's my like everybody's doing that, right? I mean, yeah, as yeah, a yeah. culture, that is what we've grown up to say, to to do, right? We were yeah, we yeah. study and study and study, and you, you know, yeah. higher education. That is what we should be striving for. Yeah, man. So, so I think that is that is a terrible reason to go to school. But when I look at it at this point in time, you know, for most people, it is a great place to go. You go and innovate, learn, think, you know, and just kind of interact. You know, when I, when I look at it, I don't think, at, at least in Singapore, I don't think we have a student debt problem. I don't think you need to rush to really, you know, be faster than other people. When, when I look at it, it is a great place for validation. You know, it's a great place to get prepared. 
you know, of course it depends on how you do it. But honestly, a lot of entrepreneurs make it sound like super easy to get validated out there. Uh, that's a whole rubbish. No, right, I don't. Through, uh, right, rounds and rounds and rounds of, of getting bashed, right? Before people validate it. Oh, actually this guy can do something, huh? Right, yeah. so co- compared to all of that, if you just go to school, for the three or four years and you make the best out of those years, right? You leverage all the resources, you take on whatever that they can give you and squeeze the university, right? That three or four years can come out to be super fruitful in terms of, you know, positioning yourself, validating yourself, actually learning something useful to come out of it. A lot of people blame the system, but they don't realize that the system has its own, you know, intrinsic value that you can actually capitalize on, much like any other system. Right, so so that's kind of how I look at it. If I was given a chance again, I'd probably just kind of you you'll go back to school, yeah, and figure things out. Yeah. And I'm I'm actually I, considering that. So yes, I would actually oh, yeah. disagree with that, but you know that is time <laughs> for the podcast because yeah, that's um, yeah, I work with university students all the time, and you know there are some that belong there and some that don't belong there, and clearly you shouldn't show somebody in that system. And so yeah. I, I I I may agree more with you back then. Then I agree with you now about university. I see. To each of their own, right? <laughs> yeah. But thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Reggie, thank you so much for coming on to our show. Uh, this is Reggie. And of course, Gustavo, thank you for hosting this with me as well. All right. So, really a pleasure meeting you, Reggie. We had fun. Yeah. yeah. So, do, do yeah. check out Reggie and his uh, podcast, The Coconut. The Financial Coconut, right? And do check out the uh, upcoming uh, episodes of Kazi as well. Until then, thank you very much. See ya. See ya.